Thank you for downloading the Wings Museum podcast. In this edition, we'll be finding out about preparations for the reopening of the museum and a rare item recently added to the collection. I'm Mike and I'm one of the volunteers at the Wings Museum. So we're only a couple of weeks away until the museum reopens for 2019, March the 2nd, I believe. What has been going on uh, since we shut back in uh, November? Myself and, and Len, one of the other volunteers, has been um, taking a bit of an inventory right. on the place. We haven't finished it yet, but... Uh, there's lots of there's stuff. There's lots and lots <laughs> of stuff. I've got something like about 200 photographs, and we we're only about three-quarters of the way around oh, yet. Right, that'll keep you busy for a few um, more weeks yet. <laughs> but we stopped doing that because we needed to start getting stuff um, ready for the next season. So we've oiled some of the weapons, some of the ammunition boxes, things like that. Mm-hmm. And today, we are attempting to oil some leather jackets. They are quite delicate things. This is just to keep them supple and preserved. I mean, these are presumably 70-, 80-year-old uh, jackets that you have on display. Correct, yeah. And the big problem is that they have writing on them. It's been, it's been painted on. All right. So we were going to try and spray it, spray oil onto it, um, and that doesn't work. So... Bearing in mind, as you said earlier, these are sort of 70-odd 70, 70 years old, we are very aware that um, you know, it would be very easy to damage these things, and you, once you'd done that, you'd never be able to, to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. So we're being really, really careful <laughs> about this, and um, we're just taking it sort of tiny steps at a time, but we'll get there yeah. one way or the other. And with only these uh, next couple of sessions that you have on Wednesdays, what else needs doing? Well, I guess the next thing we'll start doing is now just cleaning all the glasses of the display cases. It's amazing how much dust you get in this place, so sweeping down and cleaning down and stuff. And that'll be it then, and then we're looking forward to opening day and um, hearing the sound of the Merlin. All right, yes, the Merlin engine that was restored, having been found in Germany, uh, are running up as a special occasion on that day. Yes, we did it once last year, which was its very first public run. And it's quite a special engine, really, because it's a Merlin, but it came off Halifax. Mm-hmm. And some of the Halifaxes, they put um, a different exhaust system on it, which was known as a saxophone exhaust. And it's surprising how much quieter it makes the Merlin. <laughs> it doesn't sound that sort of um, crackly, sort of roary sound that um, a Merlin would sound like, on, for instance, a Spitfire. So it's quite unique. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we're very proud of our Merlin engine. So it is the plan to run it up several times in the coming years? Uh, on the first day, it's going to be twice, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. I've no doubt there'll be some other times through the year. Now, once the museum is open again, do you still keep coming down on Wednesdays to do little jobs? I probably will. I haven't done in the past, but I probably will. Len and I seem to be doing most of the stuff out front of the house. I suppose we've also got to finish off doing the inventory. (laughs) (laughs) That could keep you going for many years to come. I think that's probably all summer at least, yeah. (laughs) And of course, people keep sneaking new objects in. So so we we were looking earlier, so there's this empty display case, and I'm I'm certain there was something in it when I (laughs) I photographed that case. So what's going to go in it now, I don't know. (laughs) But we've got lots of stuff. So are there any new exhibits in this year? Yes, we've got um, the rear turret of a Whitley bomber. I think it was built in 41, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, just about the worst place to be in the bombers, the rear gunner. Most vulnerable, perhaps. Very, very vulnerable, yeah. They were the point of 
interest for the night fighters if he got behind them. And also, when you actually see this thing in the flesh, you wonder how a man could have sat in that for eight or ten hours at a time. It's not big and luxurious, is it? <laughs> it's certainly not, no. I know in the Lancasters, it, they couldn't, and I, I guess it was the same in all the rear turrets, they couldn't actually wear their parachutes. All right, so, it's that tight. Yes. So what they used to have to do was open up the rear doors of the turret and then grab their parachute and then after that try and make their escape which I guess by then the aircraft would have been spinning or whatever and centrifugal force or G would have um, made life really difficult. So that's, that's another nice tribute to the people who didn't come back from these uh, missions. Yes, very much so. I mean, Bomber Command lost 55,000 men during the war. And that was just Bomber Command. That was not Fighter Command and, and Coastal Command as well. So, yes, an awful lot of casualties. Because, yes, of course, the purpose of the Wings Museum is memory, isn't it? Yes, it's um, to commemorate not just the 55,000 men of Bomber Command, but the men from the American 8th Air Force. And I think, really, in this day and age, 70-odd years, 75 years since the war finished, we really need to be able to remember the German crews, also of course Japanese and Russian and you know there's an awful lot of guys involved in this war so we should be remembering all of them really and we've got exhibits in the museum that's come from Russia and a Japanese aircraft so that sort of links it all together quite nicely Mm. I think. And when people come in they're presumably from many many different backgrounds with those diverse interests? Yes it's amazing actually how well informed some people are is, is the honest answer. I mean, my particular bag is, more than anything, is the Battle of Britain. And uh, it quite surprises me, actually, how much the kids don't know about the Battle of Britain, considering how important a battle it was in, for Britain. Mm. Not for any, anywhere else, but just for Britain. It was one of the major battles yeah. for British interests. And presumably next year, we're talking big round number anniversaries again, yes, aren't we? Yes, we are, yeah. And, and of course, I think that now, um, with the Battle of Britain, there is only six Battle of Britain pilots left. Oh, crikey, OK. Yeah, so we're running out of these guys fast. And so we should remember them. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So, so where did this interest come from? You say Battle of Britain, but presumably it's a little bit more than just that. Well, I was born about three miles in a straight line from Dunsfold. Right. And <laughs> Dunsfold, of course, is where, in, in modern days, where all the Harriers were built and test flown from. But when I was a little boy... Uh, they were building the Hunters. Right. And Neville Duke, who was the chief test pilot for Hawkers, broke the world speed record in a Hunter, a Red Hunter. Right. WB-188 was its number. <laughs> My father often talked about Neville Duke. And Certainly a famous name, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I had an interest in aeroplanes or in, by just by simply watching them. And when we got a bit older, we used to bike over the Dunsfold. You could ride, ride up through the woods and uh, go and stand with a wire and watch the hunters and stuff mm-hmm. taking off. Uh, and I walked into the school library one day and um, I saw a book called Wing Leader by Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson being the top scoring Allied fighter pilot in Europe. Read it and was hooked. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> no escape. No. Uh, we used to go down to Tangmere to the Battle of Britain at home days until Tangmere closed and then we used to go to Big and Hill. So because they were both very famous Battle of Britain stations, I think that's where my sort of interests well, went focus, towards the Battle yeah. of Britain. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it, really. Dunsfold has got a great place, really, in the history of aviation. Mm. It was almost unique because it was built by 
the Canadians, Canadian Army during the war. It was going to be used to fly casualties back and there was the base hospital at Horsham, which is where they were going to be going to take them by road. But it became a light bomber airfield. So it operated Mitchells, it was 98 Squadron RAF, and uh, I can't remember which one of the numbers of, uh, anyway, they were Dutch. Yeah. They operated the Mitchells all the way up to, to D-Day. Then those squadrons become part of Second Tactical Air Force, and off they went. After that, it became a satellite, really, for an MU from Tangmere. So they were supplying battle replacements and that to the squadrons in Europe. Mm. At the end of the war, it was one of the three airfields designated to receive returning prisoners of war. And after that, it took part in the Berlin airlift. So there's quite a history there. There's a huge history. Yeah, yeah. After the war, in 1950, Hawkers brought the site. And so the whole of the hunter development and test flying and the builds were done at Dunsfold. Yeah. And as a local, the, you saw a lot of that then? Yes. Wow. And the Hurricane that's with the Battle of Britain flight now, it's called the last of the many. And she was at Dunsfold from 1950 onwards. She was the last Hurricane that was built. She was flown by Peter Townsend, famous Battle of Britain pilot, in the colours of Princess Margaret in air racing right. for a while. <laughs> it was also used as a chase plane, believe it or not, in the trials of the P-1127. The P-127 became the Harrier. Ah, okay. right. Yeah, yeah. You'd often hear it of a, a, a May, usually about May time, sunny Saturday morning, you'd, I can hear a Merlin. And it was Bill Bedford, who was the chief test pilot, who'd taken over from Neville Duke, the chief test pilot of Hawkers, in the Hurricane, getting his display routine sorted out for Dunshold Families Day. So, yeah, they refurbished it and then gave it to the Battle of Britain flight. So, yeah, she's still going. So we've still got links, even today, with um, Hawkers at Dunswold. Excellent. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, opening in a couple of weeks' time, lots of visitors through the door, and big smiley faces to welcome them. Oh, yes. Yes, we love to see the visitors. And uh, me, I'm, I just like to go around and, and talk to these people. Some of the kids are really, really interested. They don't actually know too much about it all. And if we can impart our knowledge to, to keep these things alive, then I'm happy. The only thing I need to say to sort of qualify that is whatever you tell these kids has got to be accurate. Hollywood is one of the, the great sort of Satans, as it were, <laughs> for misinformation. The kids watch a film and they think, oh, that's, that's true. Mm. And so much of it is not. And there are so many real, true stories that, you know, even walking around here, you can read them and yes. see them. And some, I mean, some of the things that happened, you just would not believe, really. <laughs> if they were in a film. <laughs> well, <laughs> but um, even the stuff that the Americans took part in is, is warped. Uh, never mind any other nation <laughs> stuff. There was some talk a while ago of Hollywood remaking the Battle of Britain film, which would be, I think, an absolute disaster, frankly. But... Um, you know, there we are. There's, there's not much you can do about it. But the kids that come in here, not just the kids, but the adults as well, but hopefully <laughs> they, they go out with a little bit more knowledge than they walked in with, and all that knowledge will be accurate knowledge. Thank you for listening to the Wings Museum podcast. To find out more or to get in touch, visit wingsmuseum.co.uk.